you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next edition of Bare Naked Money and Josh and I are here ready to take off our clothes one more time. Josh, are you all wound up? You're ready? Oh, I'm wound up. It's been a spicy start to the year. So yeah, I'm ready to go. Be like, like spicy. So just for the record, we are recording this uh, at the end of January, 1st of February, uh, 2022. So the markets have people's attention and we decided to be topical, timely, relevant, and discuss some of the things that are out there and maybe tie them back into decision-making in general. See if there's anything to learn from the current glut of things there are to worry about. So Josh, where, where do you want to take it from here? Well, I know what we want to talk about is some of the current events, what we're seeing in the market and potentially some of the impacts for them and try to unpack whether these are actually relevant or informative or useful data points, or as we tend to do, maybe we, we poo poo a lot of the information that's out there and it's usefulness for decision-making. So obviously we sit here today end of January, start of Feb. And it was a tough month for stock markets. Global stock markets at, at one point were down about 10% uh, top to bottom throughout the month. So that's noticeable and people are probably noticing it on their statements or noticing it on the news. And so what are the reasons or some of the perceived reasons for this downturn? Well, I think first and foremost, it comes down to an interest rate story. Do you think that's the most front of mind for people? Well, I guess it depends on the day because you're seeing some pretty spectacular headlines come out of Russia and yeah. uh, the, the European situation, specifically Ukraine, and everybody's trying to figure out what's going to happen there. So I think there's a couple of things that have caught people's attention now. Drawing the line from interest rates or bank policy or threat of war to market moves is, is difficult and best done by historians at some point way in the future. Uh, but I think those are the kinds of things that people are reading about. Then to, to me, that's what our kind of our responsibility is. Let's address specifically what's out there. But I think if we go through the central bank policy, interest rates and, and Russia and give our two cents worth, it's probably, but I just want to put this a little bit in context because do you remember being all that panicked October, November last year? Like, were you really distraught over the level of the markets? I don't ever remember being that panicked about markets. So, yeah, but that's, I'm probably not a representative sample of our, of our audience. Okay. When you're in show business, Josh, you kind of have to play along every once in a while and go, but oh my God, yes. This podcast is about, right? Right. That's not what right. this is about. It's not how we I'll, do things. I'll, I'll talk to our producer. My point is that the U S markets have roughly gone back to where they were last October, November. So I think if you, if everybody tried to remember back to their emotional state, October, November at a similar uh, market level uh, compared to today, it becomes a little bit more difficult to, to justify feeling distraught today because we're not looking at a huge backtracking in the market. But anyway, I'm just from time to time going to insert little pearls of uh, wisdom, maybe, or perspective to kind of help the conversation on Josh. But I'm sorry, I interrupted your, your, your point. 
No, I, this is a good point because I always like to think of it as what happens if you hibernated for the winter, fell asleep on October 1st and woke up today? Like, how are you going to feel about things? You'll probably wake up and be like, oh, market's flat. That good deal. Not a lot happened over the last three months, right? But because we saw things go higher and then pull back, it's a lot more uncomfortable for people. It's based on anchoring. Uh, the, the, the behavioral finance term that would be applied here is anchoring. Like as soon as your account hits a certain level, you anchor on that number and anything less than that number is terrible. And that's a very powerful, common, uh, emotional tie in anything. And the, it's, it's, there's another way of framing it called the endowment effect. Once you have something, it becomes more valuable to you and you want to cling to it at all costs. Now to point out to somebody, it's like you've averaged seven or eight or nine or 10% return for the last three years. Well, that doesn't matter. My account's down $5,000. I've lost $5,000. That's a powerful emotional reaction and not all that instructive as to good decision-making, I would suggest. Right. Yeah. The anchoring one's so interesting. The, one of the most interesting studies for me on this effect was they asked people, what is your phone number? So something really basic, really trivial. What is your phone number? And then they asked them to predict the number of jelly beans in this jar. So one, what's your phone number? Two, how many jelly beans are in this jar? And the people that had a phone number that started with a higher digit, they systematically estimated a higher number of jelly beans in that jar. Two things completely unrelated, completely trivial to one another. And actually you, one is influencing your thinking on the other. So this is why when people say, well, Dow 30,000 or Dow's down a thousand points, like all of this is completely just exactly what you said. It's anchoring, you're, you're focusing on something that's recent for you, that's in your mind that may not be that relevant really in the grand scheme of things. But tying this back to interest rates, and, and this is kind of where we're, we're coming at this from, is one of the reasons for the potential market pullback here. Interest rates are coming up pretty much for sure. Interest rates have been going up. Central banks haven't really moved their interest rates in North America yet, but they've basically, the writing is on the wall at this point. They're going to start likely in March raising interest rates from extremely low levels. And I think that's important for people to keep in mind. Interest rates are at extremely low levels. Before the pandemic, did you think interest rates were high? And was that a catastrophic number for you? If the answer is no, then seeing interest rates go from 0% to 0.25%, which is what we're talking about here, probably shouldn't be a catastrophe either. Well, let's remember, Josh, I think probably for your entire career and for, you know, the last decade or more, the conversation about higher interest rates is, has been pervasive and there's always been a reason that it's about to happen and it's imminent. And which is, look, if this is just a narrative that amuses you while you're drinking a glass of scotch at night, then you know what, if this is your entertainment, you should enjoy yourself. You know, the, the challenge comes is when you start making decisions based on it, when you start allocating capital based on anticipation because you know josh you put it well it's like you know it's probable the bank's likely going to raise interest rates a little bit in march so that's probably a fair statement now what do you do with that do you go out and and, and buy more canned goods do you buy toilet paper I don't, i'm not sure when i'm supposed to buy toilet paper i look for the media to give me my cue there 
what do you do with that information? And you know, I, I think you know, our message is going to be probably not a lot. There's not a whole lot of action that you can take based on anticipating these things. It's entertaining. It can be fun to talk about, depending on the party you're at. Maybe it's going to be part of the conversation. But it, it's not all that instructive or valuable for detailed, aggressive decision-making. Because, again, it's we're one missile out of North Korea hitting something away from you know, things making a left turn and going in another direction. So you, you got to be careful about these statements of the future. Yeah, well, I guess aggressive decision-making, not warranted, maybe investment decision-making based at, at the margins, based off of what is the likely path forward, does make some sense. And that's what we've been doing in investment portfolios up to now. But I think one of the points to make is interest rates increasing is not a negative thing for markets. In the early stages of interest rates increasing, historically, we've seen markets go higher. So this seems to me to be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to a bit of a narrative that has come up from usually the media, as things do. And there's not actually a lot of statistical evidence to support that you should be getting extremely cautious right now just because interest rates are going up a couple quarters of a percent. Well, and keep in mind the media is a slave to its audience, right? So they're going to, you know, tell the stories and that, that get attention. So it's what people want, want to consume for sure. So, uh, again, it's, it's, it, it can be a compelling story. It can be used if you want to use that frame, you can use it to motivate people to do things. You can use it as, because fear is a motivator. So you can use it to motivate to do people to do things. But Josh, to your point, yeah, portfolio-wise, we've been making little tweaks around the edges, but we've got a considerable number of barriers uh, between us and getting caught up in some of the typical mistakes that people make because we're hyper-aware of our predisposition to do things a certain way and have put processes in place to make sure we're making decisions based on facts and data rather than feelings or emotions or anchoring or any of the other things we've talked about. Uh, because you have to concentrate if you're going, it takes a lot of effort, to be honest, to, to concentrate, to overcome your actual uh, knee-jerk reaction, as Josh puts it. Look, when I go to groceries, the box that's at eye level that catches my eye, if it's a new brand of spaghetti, now that's going to make it into my cart. No, I'm not going to do a detailed calculation on its cost per gram or its nutritional content or something. Cause you know what? It's the end of the day. I'm just buying spaghetti. I'm not going to put much effort into it. So there's all kinds of ways in our life that, you know, these little mental shortcuts are necessity. I've made all the decisions I'm going to make in my day. I'm not going to get that wound up in what kind of spaghetti I'm going to buy. Uh, and you know, at the end of the day, you could argue that my life is no worse off for not having optimized my spaghetti purchase decision. Are you saying it's not normal to do a cost per gram calculation at the grocery store? All right, Josh, I, I wasn't looking directly at you when I said that, <laughs> but not everybody has the mental capacity you do to do the number of calculations that you do. Uh, so I'm saying it's okay if you don't pay attention to things. In the financial world, the, the, the cost is huge or can be huge if, if you fall prey to these little mental shortcuts. And for the love of God, Josh, give me a break. Let me buy my spaghetti. So if you're not making a knee-jerk reaction on interest rates, Colin, surely you must be making a knee-jerk reaction on Ukraine, Russia, right? Oh, 
Oh man, I I remember back, and this is back in the, one of the previous wars when I thought George Bush, or one of the U.S. presidents, said we're going to stay in the Balkans until we achieve a sustainable peace. It's like, holy crap! You just sentenced those people to death. I mean, the, there's been more fights in that region through history and more persistent strife. You know. And you're going to try to tell me that you're going to understand the nuance of the outcome here and then have something you can make a decision on. It's like, holy crow. I, I have like an absolute quarter inch deep understanding. I know enough to know that's a complete mess from a geopolitical standpoint. And there is no clear path forward. There is no, they're talking about oil supply. Well, Saudi Arabia sitting off to one side going, well, we could turn on the tap. I mean, you know. You have all of these decisions that can get made that could dramatically move the markets one way or the other. Like we could, this could all be posturing. There could be an agreement signed tomorrow and this all goes away. Or somebody could detonate a thermonuclear device, or there could be a cyber hack that takes down all the hydroelectric power in the Midwest. I mean, sure. So what does Ukraine mean to you, Josh? Do you think there's anything here worth making decisions on? I maybe not. I I guess to make make decisions on the answer is no, because it's too hard to know in advance what is going to happen and what that actually means. Like you said, maybe Russia invades and oil exports from Russia dry up. And I think oil exports from Russia are around eleven percent of the world's total oil exports, so a noticeable material amount for sure. But what happens if OPEC automatically turns around and turns on the taps? Because they can certainly do that. They have capacity. Does that mean that the oil price is going up or down or staying somewhere in between? You don't know. So there's just too many variables to predict that. I, I think, well, we, we talk about hindsight bias a lot and the idea that at some point you, you think that you knew exactly what was going to happen, just like we knew that Trump was going to be elected in hindsight. And we knew that the Brexit was going to happen in hindsight. And if we go back and actually look at things before that, we didn't actually know what was going to happen. We were actually surprised. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't a chance of it happening. There certainly was, but it was a bit of a surprise. So to sit here today and say, we know what's going to happen. No, we don't. We're probably going to sit here a year from now and say, oh yeah, that was completely obvious in hindsight, but it wasn't. And we can go back to this podcast as reference. So what does it actually mean if Russia invades? Well, it probably does mean a little bit of market turmoil in, in some areas of the market. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Don't really know. Is it a short-term or long-term thing? Hard to say. So that's why you're hinting at not really making any knee-jerk reactions. I think the information that we do look at, probably energy markets are going to be a little bit, bit disrupted. For us in North America, how much does that matter? We don't really import any oil from Russia. We don't import any natural gas from Russia. Does it have spillover effects to the rest of the world? Europe specifically, probably, because that's a pretty significant importer of European oil and natural gas. So, so many variables. And I think with geopolitics, generally our opinion is do not make any investment decisions based off of geopolitics because one, it's impossible to predict what's actually going to happen. And two, it's impossible to predict if it does happen, even if you knew in advance exactly what was going to happen, what impact is that going to have on the markets? Who knows? 
Yeah, and don't get caught up in the anticipation. But look, if your time horizon is seven, eight, nine, ten years, this is noise. And again, because the market has moved enough in the month of January, we have had a spattering of uh, phone calls or conversations with clients. Some of their newer clients haven't worked with us for a while or their own situation. There's a lot of anxiety over other things and they're concerned with what's going on. So it's like, oh my God, this is terrible. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, my account's down. Are you going to retire this year? No, like I'm going to retire 10 years from now. It's like, okay. So they'll walk me through. Well, if my account keeps going like this, it's going to go to zero. That's, that's not the way it works. Your account's not going to go to zero. It's like, well, I have this money. I'd like to make my RSP contribution, but I don't want to do it while things are down. It's like, pardon? It's like, yeah, well, yeah, things are down. I don't want to put any money in. I want to wait for it to go back up. So you're going to go with the buy high plan. Interesting. All right. Unconventional. Uh, it, I like it. Yeah. Contrary. It would be another sexier way to put it. But I mean, but seriously, the, the, these little tribulations in the market, number one, we get to go to work and we apply rigor to decision-making and we can find things to take advantage of because we're not caught up in a lot of the emotion of what's going on. Number two, if you've been slow to put some money to work, put it in. Now this isn't market timing. This is just, it's today was better than it's been since last October, but to you, money, to your market timers out there. The market's only gone back to where it was last October. Like, it's not like it, if you've been sitting on cash for two years, you need the market to fall a lot more before it goes back to where it makes sense for you to put your money in. Just say it. I'm not calling you wrong. I'll let you do your own math, but I'm just saying. Yeah. So moving right along, Colin, the, the next, I think, common argument that markets have fallen here and, and reasons why is the valuations of stocks are high. What do you think? Well, again, it's in context. The problem is you start to get into the nuance. The valuations are measured off of, can be measured. There's a number of ways to do it, but if you're measuring it off, recent results have been lumpy, you know, and recent results don't necessarily reflect, you know, the status quo. I mean, again, if your supply chain disruptions are causing inventory levels to fluctuate widely, which is causing odd numbers to show up and all pieces of the metrics of all the different ways you value the market. So to conclusively say, yeah, things are expensive. I, I, we could probably argue about that for an hour, uh, but is it cheap? No, but just because it's expensive, does it mean that you shouldn't invest? I guess I'll put that back to you, Josh, just because the markets seem expensive. Should you not invest in the markets? Yeah. Well, Valuations of stocks specifically have been above average for the better part of 20 years. So if you thought that you shouldn't invest when valuations were stretched or a little bit above average historically, and when we say average, we're talking about history going back 50 to hundred years. So if you thought you shouldn't invest when things are above average with that historical view, then you would have been sitting on the sidelines for the last 20 years for the most part. And you would have been way worse off for it. So valuations are a terrible timing tool for investment decisions. And if you want to put a label on it, we'll call that availability bias. People tend to make decisions on what's available to them. So you read an article talking about how expensive the stock market is. That information is available. It's recent. Seems compelling. I want to use it to make a decision. 
So again, it's the whole, you know, people have a limited amount of brain power to make decisions, and these are some of the shortcuts that get taken. And listen, it is a wonderful debate topic. This is something you could run a university course on, all the different ways to value the stock market, individual companies, historic ranges, things that have influenced historic ranges, changing an accounting policy that has led to different numbers. There's all kinds of nuance to get in, and there can be some stuff to learn deep in the weeds. But to just with a big brush say, you know what, things are expensive, so I'm not going to invest, that's not likely going to do you any good. Yeah. Investing to me is always a relative decision. And we're, we're talking about absolutes here to invest in stocks or not to invest in stocks, but it's always relative. So if you're not investing in stocks, you can invest in bonds. Guess what? They're expensive too. Interest rates are just about at the lowest level that they've ever been. You could invest in real estate. I don't need to rehash our, our thoughts on the valuation of real estate right now. I'm sure everybody can draw their own conclusion. You could invest in, in just cash, a plain old bank account. But if you're looking for something that's expensive, consider what your interest rate is on your savings, your GIC, your bank account right now. It's extremely low, which in a way is saying that the valuation of holding that cash is extremely high. So all of these things are quote unquote expensive through a relative lens, but if everything's expensive, then kind of isn't everything fairly priced as well. <laughs> Ooh, you philosopher King, Josh, look, this is where we're, I'm, I'm going to drift back to my final word on these kind of things, which is invest your long-term money, long-term invest your short-term money, short-term and learn how to speak another language or paint or spend time with your family trying to get caught up in any of these nuances. But if, you're, if it's entertaining, if you enjoy it, if a glass of scotch talking about markets with your buddies makes you feel you know, good about yourself and you find it interesting and fabulous, have at it. If your phone is beside you and you're placing trades while you're doing it, maybe not so much. Now we couldn't get away from any market downturn, Colin, without talking about COVID is still here. What do you say to the folks or the media or anybody out there that says that the markets are down because of COVID? Well, I, I'll just say go nerds. Uh, every day that we go, that goes by, we're, we're getting better at dealing with this on a number of fronts. We're getting better on the treatment side of it. There's new drugs being approved for treating the vaccines. They keep making progress with those and things. Is it a thing? Yeah. Has it wiped? I heard a figure that it's wiped out 160,000 small businesses in Canada since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, I don't know how many businesses would normally fail over that same time period. So I'm not sure how remarkable that number is. And see what I did there. I took a headline, I took it in, then I asked a follow-up question that would maybe make that a little bit more impactful or not. But the guy who was using the number is the, was the head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So he needed the number to be big, but I digress. I don't know exactly the, the total net effect of COVID because there are businesses that are flourishing because of this. There are businesses who are super busy because of this. Uh, but I do think that the COVID impact is going to, as we learn to live with it, is going to wane and gradually fall out of the system reliably. I don't think that the rest of my existence is going to be shadowed by the, the annual cycle of COVID. And 
what if it is, I think that we're going to learn how to live with it way better than we're living with it today. And the, the economy is going to get back to doing what the economy does. Yeah. I think just purely observationally, I have no data or evidence, uh, statistically to support this, but it doesn't seem to me that the market, the stock market has traded based off of COVID numbers or news for the better part of the last year. And again, that's just, it's purely my observation. It seems to have decoupled a little bit from the COVID news and is relying on other things like the global economy, for example. And, and really that's what the market always has relied on. But early on in COVID cases were a thing and the economy was really suffering. Now COVID cases are still a thing, but the economy is actually doing quite well. The U.S. economy in Q4 put in its best GDP growth numbers in 37 years. So that is material. That is what really matters to, to stocks and to investing at the end of the day. And it, it's interesting. You mentioned that article about Canadian businesses, Colin. This comes down to framing things a little bit. And the media does a, a wonderful job at this. And there is a, another behavioral bias called framing bias. And the way that an argument is posed to you or questions posed to you can actually really frame how you respond or answer to that question. And a great example is also from the medical field. And if you, if a doctor is to ask a patient about an elective surgery and say, Hey, do you want to do the surgery? There's a 90% success rate. The patient is much more likely to elect to go forward with that than if the doctor says, Hey, do you want to go forward with the surgery? There's a 10% failure rate. So just asking exactly the same question, statistically both true, but the way that you frame it makes somebody respond one way versus another. And, and that is, I think very much how the, the media tends to act and it can influence your mood and your decision-making. So it's something to be aware of. Yeah. The one, the example I heard is, I think it was probably the same book because we do a lot of the same reading was. You have a 50% chance of survival or a 50% chance of dying. Those are, those invoke two very different emotions, you know, mm -hmm. and lead to you know, predictably different decision-making. But Josh, you're being too modest. You are probably one of the best read guys I hang out with and I hang out with some good geeks. And if you haven't really noticed a correlation between the COVID numbers and the markets over the last little while, I'm willing to bet my, well, I can't even bet my house anymore. Can't bet my kids. I'm willing to bet all the money in my genes that there's probably not a statistical correlation there that's discernible. And why can't you bet your kids? Because they don't live at home anymore. So I guess I've given up ownership a little bit. So okay, okay. Well, it's good to know you owned them before. <laughs> well, possessions nine tenths of the law. Fair enough. So I guess if I were to wrap up. Yes, markets are down. Yes, it's noticeable. Yes, it's a, a fairly big dip. This type of thing happens roughly every two out of every three years. So is it shocking? No. Will it happen again? Yes. Do we try to ascribe a whole bunch of different reasons to it? Absolutely. We try our best to ascribe a whole bunch of different reasons to it. Most of this is noise. Focus on a process. Focus on discipline. Focus on your goals. Focus on the long term. And you will be successful. Yes. And just to add a further caveat, uh, we reserve the right to come back here next month and go, holy crap, it's still going. Th that's 
within the realm of possibility as well. Uh, don't, we're, it's funny. We always walk the line between trying not to be glib about things because people have very serious emotional reactions to these things, and we have to be somewhat empathetic for sure. But at the end of the day, you have us in your world to do math, and we feel that's what we're trying to bring forward is this is what the math is telling us and try to take emotion out of the equation. So, yeah. But it, we could be back here next month going, holy crap, that may happen. Nowhere in this podcast did we predict what's going to happen over the next one month in the markets. I, I yeah. say that with conviction. Nowhere in there, you can go back and listen to the tapes. Nowhere in there did we say that. And if somehow you think we did because it was in code or something, you're wrong. Stop. You're listening to it too closely. If you play this backwards and you find some prediction somewhere, stop it. Again, go learn a language, learn how to paint, do something else. You've got to stop spending time on this. But that would be cool. So let us know because I, I think <laughs> we said something backwards. <laughs> a quick antidote was my favorite comments back when they were concerned there were satanic messages in rock and roll albums and they had the congressional hearings in the state and they had uh, Alice Cooper was on the stand and they were accusing him of putting, you know, backward messages in his records and he leaned into the microphone and goes, well, I was going to put backward messages on my records. It'd be buy more records. So. <laughs> totally self-serving. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Josh. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client's situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.